And if you would, take out your copies of God's Word and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, that's page 1,161. 1,161. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17 on our slow march through Ephesians. So now, listen carefully, for this is God's word. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's now go to him and ask his blessing on our message today. Oh Jesus, we thank you for this passage that you have given to us. I ask that you would help me to preach it, to communicate it well. And that all of our hearts would be ready and willing to receive what you have for us today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in the Witness Protection Program? Don't answer if you have. (laughs) This was a program that was created in the 1970s as a means of securing testimony from people who would otherwise be unwilling to come forward with what they knew. This was an opportunity to assure them that they would be safe. That by giving their testimonies, that they would be able to go and live their lives as they had been without fear of reprisals. It was a very effective program. In fact, 80% of the time when this was used, there was a conviction that was, came as a result. And at least according to the program's own assessment of itself, it's been 100% effective at keeping its witnesses safe. Provided that they follow the rules. One of the rules was that they have to give up all ties in their former life. They can never return to the city in which they lived. They can't associate with friends that they used to talk to. Even extended family sometimes is beyond what they're able to contact. And even immediate family is only able to be contacted through secure means. By doing this, they're able to embrace a new life and to embrace a place of safety. Some were not able to do that. Because the majority of those that needed the witness protection program were criminals themselves. And it was difficult to leave behind this life that they had grown so accustomed to living. Laying aside an old life is hard to do. It's a lot of habits that come with it. But this is exactly what the scriptures call us to do. To leave behind the life that we used to live. And to embrace a new one that Christ has given to us. And that's what we're going to look at here in this passage today. 
So we're going to be taking a look at our two points that you can see on your outline as seen on the back of your prayer guide. The first point we're going to look at is that we are called to leave behind the futile life. Leave behind the futile life. And the second point is be renewed into lasting life. That's what we're going to look at in our two points today. But to remind ourselves of where we are. This is a letter that Paul has written to the church at Ephesus. He has just laid out all the wonderful blessings that Christians have and the entire Trinity at work in their salvation to raise dead people to be united to one another and to God. And we've been seeing here in chapter 4, Paul making this switch. Here's a turning point of the doctrine that has been laid down and now how this impacts the rest of our lives. We've had the gospel, and now we're going to see the implications for that. It's going to be crucial as we walk through this that these things that Paul lists for us and the things that we are to do is not to earn our salvation. Salvation has been earned by Jesus and is given that righteousness to us as we discussed in our wonderful Sunday school lesson. If you missed that, as a talk to me, we can find a way to get that video to you. It was wonderful today. But now we're getting into this area where, hey, here is what our new life is supposed to look like. And we've seen that there are individual responsibilities. The Lord has given us each gifts to cultivate and to work for the church as a whole. We're all growing together closer to Jesus, and we're growing individually closer to Jesus. And now Paul's going to be laying this out as to what this looks like. And it begins with leaving behind the old life, putting on a new one. Now Paul begins and he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now if you're reading this passage and you remember back to chapter 3, you may say, wait a minute. I thought we were just talking about the Jews and Gentiles are united. The, the Christ has torn down the wall of hostility that exists between these two. And there are Gentiles here in the audience as are listening to this letter as it's being read. What is Paul doing? Could Paul benefit from a diversity and inclusion class? Why is Paul saying that don't live like the Gentiles? Well, he's not calling out these people just by the virtue of the fact that they're not Jews. But he's using this Gentile term as the way it had been used for a long time, meaning someone who is outside the covenant of God. When God made a promise, it was with the nation of Israel. You had to be a part of that if you were going to be a part of God's covenant. So those that were outside of that were outside the covenant. They could come in, but not by virtue of where they had been born. So here he is saying that those that are outside of the covenant, we're not supposed to act like that. We don't live like people who are not tied to God. We have to cut ties from that. So what does that look like for us? How do we cut ties with the world? Well, the first thing we have to realize is that the world is a futile place. But it doesn't look like that on the surface, does it? That's why we read Psalm 73 this morning. Is if we are to look, when Asaph was looking at the wicked in his day, it's a lot like looking at the wicked in our day. Now at that time, you know, calling someone fat in Psalm 73 was not an insult at the time. It meant you were wealthy enough to have enough food to be able to put on weight. 
This is something that we in our culture are a little less familiar with. The idea of not having an abundance of food. Being a, being a plus size was a social status. But we could look at it today and say, look at their bank accounts. They're swollen. Look at all of the and way it's been termed today, the, the laptop class of America. The Hollywood elites on the other side of the country. It looks like they figured something out, haven't they? These people have a lot of money. These people are very famous. And it's easy to think, well, all these people over here are not handicapping themselves with what's right. They feel free to cheat on their taxes. They feel free to go about and do all the things that they do, and they're getting ahead in this world. And those of us who are paying our taxes, who are doing the right thing, who are all these things, what does it seem to give to us? Not making progress. We're not climbing the corporate ladder because the corporate wants us to do things that are unethical. Or we've been fired from a job because we refuse to bow to a culture that has given up on God's design for sexuality. These are real things. This is real sacrifices that people go through. And it can seem like God's not setting me up for a very good life here. But that's just the point. He's not setting you up for a good life here, at least in the ways that the world terms a good life. In the ways of money and these other things. But in fact, as we can look in Psalm 73, when we consider their end, it's like, well, it comes back to what Jesus said. What profit, what, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? Like, sure, they have a lot of money for now. They don't get to keep that. Sure, they're famous for now. Sure, they have access to all the success and other things that we would like for now. But that won't last. Their end is destruction. And this is what Paul continues with here. The life that they have is one of futility. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. They're missing something. In fact, they're missing the thing that makes the whole rest of the world make sense. Think of it this way. Can you imagine if you were called to take a look at the finances of a company and you were given everything on that page except decimal points? Would you be able to know where they stood financially? You wouldn't because you don't know where the cents begins and the dollars end. You need you can come up with a lot of theories as to how the company works based on the spreadsheet that's in front of you. But until you have that decimal point, the rest of the thing doesn't make sense. And it's the same way with God. We can look out into a world and we can come up with theories as to how it's supposed to work, mostly guided by our own preferences as to what we like and what we don't. That becomes good and bad. But we're darkened in our understanding without God. You can't make sense of the rest of your life. Marriage makes no sense without God. Family makes no sense without God. Sacrifice makes no sense without God. They're darkened in their understanding and have been alienated from the life of God. And then it continues here. Because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. See the picture Paul's painting here? 
There is a sense not only of God's hardening of their heart, but their own willing participation in that process. They're ignorant of the things of God, and they would rather things stay that way. I remember one professor asked the class to define the difference between ignorance and apathy. And one student, very apathetically, said, I don't know and I don't care. The professor said, correct. (laughs) And this is how the world interacts with God. They don't know. They don't care to know. Now, what this should produce in us, as one of my seminary professors said, is feelings of pity, not of superiority. To look at the world and go, ugh, those darkened, terrible people, so unenlightened, would that they were more like us. That's not how we are. Because we all started in the same place. You need to go back to chapter 2. By grace have we been saved. But instead is to look at people stumbling around in the dark, thinking that they see is a tragedy. And here, this has become a process that just becomes more and more and more evident as life goes on. That they become calloused to this. If you work with your hands a lot, you'll find your first day on the job, there's a lot of blisters and cuts on your hand. But the more that you interact with that thing, those calluses begin to form and your hand gets harder and it's not cut as easily. This is the same image that Paul is using here of someone's heart. One that when, on the first sin, there was a cut, that hurt. But the more and more we interact with that, the rougher the heart becomes. And the less and less and less they're bothered by it. That's where we get into the greatest of danger. When your sin no longer bothers you. That's what we have here for the wicked. And then it says that they have given themselves up greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The words that Paul is using here have the general nuance of sexuality, but it's not limited to that. This doesn't mean that every person who is outside of Christ is automatically as bad as they possibly could be. If we remember back in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus looks to the tax collectors and points to them and says, even the tax collectors love those who love them. So he points to these that, that, are, that are evil in their society, and that even they are not as bad as they could be. That's the case with those outside of Christ. Not as bad as they could be, but there's nothing preventing them from getting worse. Sin never stays at the size that it started. It always grows. And that's what we have here with these. And what Paul is warning us is to give up that kind of life. It's a futile life, but we have to see it that way. We can get distracted with the very thin veneer of gold that's standing over rotten wood. You have to be able to peek behind that to see there's darkness back there. There's rot back there. And this life is one that needs to be left behind because it doesn't make sense to continue in it. And instead, he calls us to something else tells us to keep and to be renewed into lasting life. That's what we're going to look at here. Paul makes this turn in verse 20 and tells us, but this is not the way that you learned Christ. 
What Paul is saying here is that when we come to Christ, when we put our trust in him, we're saved. And then there is transformation that comes. There's an effect that happens from that gospel. That's not how we earn our salvation. But it's the way that that salvation is evidenced. And he continues on. This is not the way that you have learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That's such a beautiful, that's such a fascinating image. Desires that want to lie to you. Your old life, futile, dark, and corrupt as it is, knows exactly what to tell you, doesn't it? Those things that we struggle with, those sins that are so easily beset us, we know just what to tell ourselves to excuse it, don't we? It's a deceitful desire. It's always lying to you. Always. But we fall for it every time. But yet Jesus never lies to you. Jesus is always straightforward with you. Always says and does what he says that he will do. But we don't believe him. These are deceitful desires. And we're called to put these things off. At one level, this is something we have, that Paul is saying that we have already put off. When we come to Christ, we leave behind those things. But then there is that process that theologians call the already and not yet. We've already been saved, already seated in heavenly places, righteous in Christ. And we're still filling these shoes that Christ has given to us. Not to keep salvation, but in growing from the effects of that. That's what he's doing here. It's a continual process of putting off. My, one of my pastors, Pastor Reader, had an analogy of when, you, before you're saved, you are living in a house and you've got this oppressive person that's living in the house. Tells you exactly what to do and forces you to do those things. Now, you're willing to do those. But this is something that he has power over you to do. When Jesus comes, he puts that guy in a corner. Breaks that power over you. And now you are under the reign of Christ. You don't have to listen to this old slave master anymore. But at the start of things, his voice is still pretty loud. Those old habits kick in real easily. And when he yells, jump, you do. But the more time you spend with Christ, the longer you are submitted to your new master, his voice gets, the old one, gets softer and softer and softer. Still there. Never fully gone in this life. But it becomes less and less and less. This is something that's a beautiful thing to see. Something that I've seen in my own life. Not perfectly. But those things that used to be real loud screaming in my ear. It's less and less and less. That's what it means to be renewed. To put on this new self. Verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Look who we're being remade into. The mold that we're being poured into is God's and is shaping us to be like him in true righteousness 
and holiness. That's what this means. And we're going to see here in the next few weeks as Paul begins to get a little more granular as to what this looks like. We've been seeing in the this first half of chapter 4 a wide-ranging, we're leaving behind this old life. We're embracing this new that's filled with gifts and goodness from God in the spiritual sense. But Ian, he's going to get granular. What does it look like to put off the old man and to put on the new self? We'll see, like in verse 25, it talks about having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth to his neighbor. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him work hard so that he can be generous wherever there is need. There is a reason, I think, why he is making this much of an emphasis. There is an intentionality in both these works. There is an intentional leaving off of these old things. This isn't something that just happens by putting our feet up and just waiting. If you find yourself struggling with your internet connection, it's time to put a filter on that. Leave off that old person. Put on the new self. This is an intentional working to leave behind these old things and to embrace these new things. Again, not to earn salvation. This is not, well, if you missed up in this process, you forgot to lay off this thing, well, you're beyond hope now. It's like, no, this is a continual process that's never fully complete here in this life. But it is one of slow progression, of laying down and picking up. This is an intentional thing that we do. I think that's what we imply here. And kids, this applies to you too, those of you that are here. Start on this process early. The less time you spend listening to that old life, the easier it will be to live the new life. Start now. It will make this easier for you. Love Jesus because he loves you. I think a final implication, as is from the words of Augustine, It says that God gives what he commands. What does he mean by that? God commands us to live a holy life. Can you do that on your own? No. No, you can't. But we can be empowered to do those things. That's why here in 23 is to be renewed. It's a passive. It's something that God is doing in your life. Are you participating in that? Yes. But is the Lord the one that's giving you the power to do all those things? Yeah, that's where that is. This is a new life that we are working towards. The beautiful thing is, is that we are walking towards the end in our lives where this process will be complete. If you are weary of your sin. And how it seems like, well, there's been so little progress in my life. Progress, but frustratingly little. Keep before your eyes that hope. There is coming a day, one day, when you will never sin again. Or you will never fall back into those old things that once you're finished with the sin, it goes, ugh, I fell for that again. That feeling will one day never come to you again. When you can rejoice in heaven forever. That's what this supper that we're about to partake in is pointing us towards. 
a time in which we will feast with Christ. We will be in his presence forever, physically. We get a taste of it now, spiritually, as we commune with him. But it's only by the gospel that that table represents. The body that was broken for you. The blood that was spilled for you. That is what makes us worthy to come. And then further imagery from this supper. Just as we are fed with food to give us energy to do those things, Christ feeds us to go and nourish our souls. That's what we're doing here in this time of communion. So I invite you to that table to help you in laying off the old self and taking on the new self. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for this time we get to spend together. As we remember who we were and who you're making us to be. So I ask that as we leave here today, that we would find hope in you. That we would not look to ourselves for our righteousness. That we would not look to anything in and of ourselves. But that we would see your work in us. And that we would be renewed day by day. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we prepare the table...